When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Dr. D here, popping in to tell you, yeah, you, about our friendly neighborhood painting gallery. The painting gallery with no name is a friendly painting celebration to give you all prizes for painting a model with a quarterly theme. At the end, we will let people on the Fury's Finest Discord vote on who is the winner and then randomly pick more winners from the remaining participants. We will announce the winners on the show and celebrate one of the best parts of the hobby. This quarter's theme is an affiliation leader. To participate, all you need to do is provide us with five photos. First, take a picture of your unpainted or lightly painted model. Then paint the heck out of it. Take four photos of the freshly completed masterpiece and send us all five photos at furypainting at gmail.com. By July 4th to submit your entry. Make sure your five pictures have your name on the file so we know where to send the prizes. Good luck and have fun. I speak for everyone when I say we are excited to see what you managed to paint. As of right now, we are at war. How desperate you call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate. You might not be glad that you did. There was an idea. Bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more. Like the battles that we never could. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Ruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Jesse, I am very, very excited to finally be able to record again. I had some sound issues there for a couple weeks, guys, so my deepest apologies, but we have got it resolved and uh, better than ever, really. Exactly. It's very exciting. Hope you guys enjoyed the last episode where I had Avenger patron Dr. D. Dylan on the podcast to announce the painting contest with no doors, which is very exciting. Very cool. If you guys haven't checked out that episode, make sure to check it out because Dylan goes into the details of the contest. You know, we use the word contest, Chris, but I think I think that might come off aggressive to some people. But, you know, what it really is, is it's a, a fun painting accountability group with, you know, like-minded people you're going to do for two months just to do one model. And at the end, there'll be some judging and, you know, some participation prizes and there'll be one big winner. And it's, this is more just a way for us to seasonally on Fury's Finest do this. And this was all Dylan's idea. And I think it's brilliant. Very awesome. To seasonally keep people, you know, accountable and just painting and having fun. I think the coolest part of this, Chris, is the fact that no one can post their pictures at the beginning, at in the middle, anything like that. So we're just going to, it's going to be the 4th of July. Our voting phase is going to start for a week and we're just going to see all these various models people have completely finished, get to look at them, cast our votes on the patron discord. And I just can't wait to see what everybody picks. It's going to be really cool. What models they pick. Very, very exciting. I'm sure we're going to see some awesome, 
awesome stuff. Got some very skilled folks in, we do. in the Patreon group, man. Yeah, and what's cool is this is extended beyond just the the patrons because you know the, the patrons found out about this first, but the whole reason Dylan came on the show was to announce it to everyone and invite everyone. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely check at last episode for the rules. And also in the show notes of last episode, we have the link to Dylan's Google Doc with the rules and the sign up sheet. Still not too late to sign up. That due date is July fourth, and you know even if you're not a patron, we want you to participate. This is for everyone. So. We're hoping this is going to be something that grows in the future, Chris. And, you know, between you, me and Dylan, we can support people's endeavors and putting themselves out there, putting the work out there like that. And these participation prizes and stuff are really hoping to be really neat in the future as this grows. That's that's at least my big goal. We're going to get there step at a time. Step at a time. And also, speaking of last episode, I have begun my deep dive into the Shadowlands. Oh, buddy. Not even bringing Kingpin in my 10 models because I don't give myself an option to play, you know, with one of the best <laughs> leaderships in the game. I mean, it's how I'm going to learn. It's how I'm going to learn hey, Shadowlands, Chris. Boot camp it. If you're going to do it, just just get after it. Embrace it. I mean, if you want to learn Cyclops leadership, you just leave Storm at home. It's very daring. Yep. <laughs> That's even more daring. I would not recommend that. Storm's just so good. Storm's so good. Three threat leader alone. That's just so good. Incredible. But, I'm so excited, Chris, to play more of the Shadowlands. I'm, I've just started to play it kind of at our at our play sessions we're going to have in person coming up. And then on top of that, hopefully some some tournaments and things like that and just kind of learn how to play them and crack it. And I've had a lot of success so far. I mean, with the in the least that my theory was right, Bucky and Craven are awesome in this team. What do you know? Those guys that aren't played a lot. So it's very exciting. I, it's kind of wild that they're not played a lot. It's true because they always give me problems, but... <laughs> Yeah, man, like uh, people are going to be good in places. I'm super excited that you're going to start advocating for uh, Bucky and Craven to be making uh, some serious lists. That that makes me excited. I mean, I appreciate it. I always got someone to to fight for, Chris. It's my play style as a player, as you know this. <laughs> I would always rather represent underrepresented models and models I like to play. And it's something we've talked about on our show a lot, Chris, something you and I have preached time and time again. It's something that we both very much believe in. Play what you want and find a way to make it work. Sometimes stuff just doesn't work and it's underpowered. That's true. Not really the case in MCP, though. This is an insanely balanced game. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. And, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, you know how every game has eras and phases and... Mm, you know, yeah. ebbs and flows. What, what are we going to remember this as? This this time. This mm. just incredibly balanced. Everything kind of works. Like, how long can it last? I'm just, I think it can last for a very long time. But yeah, it's it's very cool. I'm excited. I'm just very excited about what's in the future. Yeah, I am too. And my current goals are to crack the Shadowland criminals and have fun with it. And then eventually crack Shield and have fun with it. Those are kind of my new big projects. And keep playing Convocation if if the mood strikes me. But like I said in the last episode, it's it's being pushed aside for a bit. I, I've played plenty with it. Plenty. Excited to try something new. Speaking of new things coming up, Chris, we got the painting contest going on right now. We have a new league on the Fury's Finest Discord starting up soon for TTS. Oh, baby. And in the coming weeks. So this is kind of the interim time. So if you were thinking about joining the Patreon, now might be the time because you are. we are in that lull before the next league of the Secret Wars, which is very exciting. But also, Chris... Mini Stravaganza is coming up very soon. And in the weeks leading up to Mini Stravaganza, we didn't think we were going to get anything, honestly. They gave us a taste. <laughs> they gave us a taste of a new 
character pack for the game that involves two members of the Black Order. Oh my gosh, you can hear me advocating for these years ago or whatever. I'm so excited. Go back to our Black Order episodes. Yep. It's it's so true. I think it shocks no one, Chris. You and I talked about on those episodes how in particular Supergiant, well, one of our favorite members of the Black Order, if not our favorite at the top, and um, Black totally. Swan, the addition of Black Swan oh. on top of that was a nice curveball. I don't know, man. The, I'm just thinking the Infinity Saga and all these things that I enjoyed so much when we did those episodes. It's all coming back to me. You know, maybe yeah, Ebony Amaw has has a true place in the game. Like maybe Ebony Amaw is with them. Or what if one of them have a new Black Order leadership? Because my theory that for this year was this is the year of secondary leaderships. That's why I'm so excited about Shadowlands Daredevil. That's why I'm so, so excited about all this Avengers stuff we got going on. Maybe a leadership that means Thanos can't be in the list. <sighs> That would be on the table. I think that would make a lot of sense and be very cool. Different Black Order altogether. Yeah, very Bingo. cool. So Supergiant, I'm just so excited she's coming to the game. And Dallas did confirm on online that she does have a hood up option, which I'm very excited about. Sweet. As well. So, but on top of that too, AMG announced the card pack, which is coming, I'm assuming later this summer. And, you know, this is one of those things we could take a long time to talk about, but it's all the cards that were ratted in the fall, those printed versions of those. So those roughly 25 character cards. And then we have almost 75 tactics cards, Chris. Now here was pretty cool about this. If you just got into the game, you could pick this up and have yourself almost 80 plus tactics cards. And then of course those are ratted characters cards and you're in a pretty good spot. And I find that really cool. Well, I'm very excited for it because I have lost little cards here and there yes, through, my, through my uh, many moves over the last couple of years and just my many moves. We'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, one, let's also clarify, too, that AMG said some of these tactics cards, if they needed slight rewording or clarifications on the card, that's been changed as well. So that's really nice, too. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to open up in-person play a little more, just more access for more people, which are all things I'm a big proponent of. I, I just want people to play this game. You know, it's so wonderful. And if you're upset about, you know, a card pack coming out that that offends you in some way, you don't have to buy it. That's the best part. Like if you have most of this stuff and you've maybe you printed the errated cards like I've done at home, I've got that printed, you know, everyone, like I've got my printed green goblin, I've got my printed Hulk, all that stuff. And you don't want to buy the pack. You don't have to do that either. So it's completely optional, but I think it's a cool tool for new players getting the game. They could just buy it, maybe have access to a bunch of tax cards and character packs that they don't have, or are not planning on buying. Maybe they don't want to buy Ghost Rider. Maybe they don't want to get the cards to come on his pack, you know, but now they can. So I think that's a very cool thing. But that's the type of news we have right now leading up to mini stravaganza. And then on top of that, Chris, as we speak, Moon Knight is ending and Doctor Strange is coming out. So it's just a crazy time, man. We're going to be busy for many, many weeks, which is great. We got a lot of stuff to talk about. It's true. I am especially hyped. I have stayed relatively spoiler free on... uh, Doctor Strange. I I haven't. I think I watched the teaser once. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Yeah, you were committed. But, I like that. Yeah, I'm on social media blackout right now because we're hours away at this point, really. And you know, the premieres have happened in other cities across the world. So I've heard that Twitter is just a nightmare right now. There's spoilers everywhere, and I'm just just being safe because I don't want X character who showed up in this movie to be revealed to me on a a small pixel on my screen. You know. I've got to. I've got to figure out when I'm going to go see it. I don't know. 
When are you going to see it? Yeah. I don't know when. I don't know. My goal is to see it twice this weekend. So my goal is to see it once this weekend. Well, I wish you the best. Our working situations are flipped, <laughs> right? Luckily, you know, it's, it's one of those things like we, I've had, we've had this planned out for a while. So babysitters and stuff are in place. Oh, we're baby. Good to, we're good to go. I'm ready to see oh. two of my favorite characters in all the entire MCU take the center stage. That's Dr. Strange and Scarlet Witch. I'm ready. I'm just ready. I'm ready for them. I'm very, very ready for some things. I already know about it. Yep. That I won't say now, just in case you are very lucky to not even heard about those. Sure. But, oh man, it's going to be very fun. And yeah, I think things are going to open up in a way they did not in Spider-Man, even though Spider-Man opened the door. But yeah, man, it's going to be very interesting, very fun, uh, hopefully very trippy. I mean, I would expect nothing less out of Sam Raimi. I'm very excited. I'm a big fan of his work as well. So I'm just, it's a very high moment for me right now, Chris. We're literally finishing Moon Knight and getting Doctor Strange. And then in a couple of weeks, Obi-Wan. So, you know, it's one of those things. I'm very excited. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we actually are returning to our normal form of the show. We just had a lot of stuff to catch up at the front. And we're covering Leader of the Midnight Suns in Marvel Crisis Protocol Blade. That's Eric. This is a character you and I looked forward to a long time. If if you haven't noticed, you check our Halloween special last year. We kind of like touched on a lot of the cool Midnight Sun stuff that we're really excited to talk about. But we're doing another mini series, Chris, like we do with Asgard. We're just doing a little mini Midnight Suns series for a little bit, and uh, we're starting with Blade. Oh yeah, baby. You know, as excited we as we are about everything else that's going on right now, right with TV and. And MCP, there's something that's a, even a little bit more exciting I have to announce right now. And we got a new Avenger level producer, Jesse. It's so true. Incredible. It's exciting. Brian J. Thank you, Brian, for becoming an Avenger level producer. Unbelievable, honestly. And uh, it was one of those things. We're back up. We're back up to our producer slots, Chris. Like we're, we're there again. So, you know, we had a, a long lull for a while and we're there. And you guys are directly helping keep the lights on. You know, we've upgraded our setups lately. We've upgraded our all the things we pay for to keep our hosting and our recording going. So you guys are making all this happen. On top of that, we got a lot of stuff for this year planned. Like we talked about, this is the year of the patrons. So this is the year of After Dark, the painting competition, TTS with patrons, a lot of that stuff. And you guys are making that happen. It's very awesome. But of course, we have a patron of the week this week as well, who deserves their own special shout out. Mm hmm. And our patron of the week is Nathaniel B. Nathaniel, thank you so much, man. Of course, and we could not forget to thank our other Avenger producers, Zack Attack, Rusty, Dylan, and Nathan. Thank you, Avengers. Brian has just joined your ranks. And of course, guys, our patrons support Furious Finest at patreon.com slash Furious Finest. If you enjoy our show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution. We take this time to thank all of you for your support. It's a great community, Chris. Like Dylan said the last episode, that's why we had a patron on. Dylan wanted to share his experience, and I wanted him to share this great idea of the competition. And he got second place in the TTS Secret Wars League. It was a dual-faceted thing. And you know, to add more to the patron content, for the Asgardian Avenger patrons, me and Dylan did record an extra bonus After Dark for April on top of the April After Dark that you and I recorded earlier. And we talked about all of his games from the TTS League. Oh, man. Yeah, it's very exciting. What a memory. Yeah, and how he brought Electra every game. 
because that was his goal. <laughs> That's awesome. I loved it. Yeah, so good. But you know, thanks again to all these patrons. Thanks again to Dylan, and you guys are making this happen. But Chris, let's get on over to Blade Lore. Jesse, today is a special day. Today oh. we talk about Eric Brooks, one of my favorite Marvel characters from the time I was a child. Of course. That has something to do with the Blade movies coming out during my childhood. Absolutely. Really awesome. And the Blade movie affected uh, young Eric Brooks uh, just as much as it did me. Because uh, in Marvel, Mm. you just don't see characters in the comics change based on the Hollywood portrayal quite to this extent. And now we have (laughs) Star-Lord. Yes, we have Star-Lord now. But yeah. those Blade movies, there's an argument to be made that those movies, along with the X-Men movies, kind of saved the company. So, you know, Star-Lord's a win-more card, Jesse. We know that. Right. Who is Blade? He is one of Marvel's more stubborn, one of Marvel's more gritty, dark characters. He will make some hard decisions in a split second, he's not someone that's afraid to make a tough choice. He's a very interesting character in Marvel, and he has been, you know, woven in and out of the forefront of Marvel for quite some time now. So let's talk about Blade's superpowers. For all intents and purposes, he is a vampire. For a while, he could not walk in the daylight and suffered from all the other weaknesses of a vampire, but didn't have the bloodthirst of a vampire. Post-Blade movies, of course, this all changes, and there's a different storyline in the comics, of course, to update Blade to this character, involving Morbius the Living Vampire, the subject of your favorite movie that recently came out. Listener at home, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But Blade is, is super cool. He's a vampire, okay? He's a he's a martial artist vampire. Now, where it gets cool is not necessarily his like vampire powers or whatever. It was how he's been trained. Well, we can talk about his vampire powers first, right? Well, yeah, he's typical, man. He's super strong. He's super fast. He's regenerative. Yeah, some healing factor. Bullets aren't going to hurt him. He can walk in the day now. He is the daywalker, but he was not for a long time. Biggest weakness of vampires, gone. Gone. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. But what I think is cool about Blade is, and we'll get into it more in his history, the gentleman that trained slash kind of raised him was a father Mm -hmm. figure-ish, Jamal Afari, just trained him to be a master vampire hunter. And in the streets of London, I just think that's very cool. He is, like I said, a master martial artist, all of them. Yeah, you list them all. (laughs) List them all. He, if you know it, he knows it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even even just boxing. Throw the boxing in, too, with all the martial arts names. He's an adept loner. And like I said, I kind of think his stubbornness is one of his kind of superpowers. He knows he's right, and he is just going to do it, man. It's kind of a Wolverine superpower. A sort of stubborn, of grit, stubborn grit. A lot of it was kind of... It was there in Early Blade for sure, but the Wesley Snipes portrayal, man, mm-hmm. just 100% just changed the character forever, for the better, in my opinion. Absolutely. So we got to get into when Blade started in comics. When was that, Chris? Blade was introduced into the comics in The Tomb of Dracula, number 10, uh, in July of 1973. 
He was created by writer Marv Wolfman and penciled by Gene Colan. Marv, of course, one of our favorites. Mm -hmm. So young Eric was born to parents that were part of the Order of Tyranna. This was kind of an anti-occult, anti-vampire, you know, very, very dark, very mystic arts in, in Marvel, of course, society. While in London, Tara Vanessa Cross Brooks, Blade's mother, was hiding or undercover uh, in a brothel. So she was renting a room there, and that's where she was kind of home basing because, you know, it, it would go unnoticed. And here is where she would give birth to Eric. And her friends that worked in the brothel went to go find a doctor. And who do they bring? You might remember him from Blade the movie. Deacon Frost. That's right. They bring former scientist, current vampire, Deacon Frost, who poses as a doctor to gain access to the room and feed on Vanessa and her, her baby. But the girls at the brothel knew something was going on, and they ran him off. Not before Vanessa would die, though. But during Blade's time, still connected by the umbilical cord, the vampiric enzymes made their way into his bloodstream, and he would become a damn fear. Jesse, I always want to say Dunpeel because of Vampire Hunter D there, but it's damn fear. In <laughs> damn fear. <laughs> Young Eric was then raised uh, by the mistress of the brothel and later during his childhood uh, would stumble across a an older gentleman uh, being jumped by some hoodlums. But it was actually a vampire hunter taking out two vampires. And of course, that was Jamal Afari. Mm on the streets of London there. And after learning of young Eric's background and history and unique powers, Jamal would train him. Jamal would raise him very big influence. And of course, this is a slight departure from what happened in the movies where they kind of invented Whistler for the movies. Yep. Whistler was not a part of the comics or blades upbringing. Of course, this is all in 1929 is when blade is born. So he's been around for a while. Early depictions of blade are going to be a lot more colorful than they are now. He was very much in the same vein as a, a power man, a Luke cage back in the seventies and eighties. His dialogue would be very different from what you'll see it now. He, he was very written in a very stereotypical kind of African-American way was not that kind of man of few words, gritty, stubborn, you know, man of action. He's talking more, hmm. using catchphrases, things like that. Not egregious or anything. Just It's just a characterization difference. Young Eric would join a couple of vampire hunting groups here and there. He would become arch enemies with Dracula and also uh, you know, driven by his birth and mother's death, of course, uh, arch enemies with Deacon Frost as well. And these two vampires would just come in and out of Blade's life and, you know, generally be his white whales. And we could go through all of that, but it is, it's very interesting. It's very fun, but we do not have enough time to mm -hmm. do that. We are not that podcast. So Jesse, what I want to kind of focus on mm -hmm. is how the movies affected the portrayal of Blade. Okay. I'm going to need you in this one. We're going to have to talk about it now. So Wesley Snipes had this incredible portrayal 
And I mean, I, do, I believe the Blade movie came out before the Spider-Man movies, right? Just barely before. Just barely, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's it, technically it, the first Marvel movie. Right. They changed a lot of things. They kind of dumped the London thing and, you know, there's not much of an accent, things like that. But that movie, that look, those action sequences, yep. the dialogue and 100% Snipes' portrayal, you see that change the Blade character in the comics. It takes a couple of years to, for the comics to catch up. But it is changed very drastically. Mm. I mean, his costume and things have changed already based on the movie. But getting bit by Morbius, the living vampire, some enzyme, you know, changes things to be the way they want them. But now Blade is the daywalker, the Blade that we knew. So when you learned about Blade and watched these movies, someone <laughs> like me, as, as it came out as a child, you've thought about him. As you saw him there, right? He's always been the daywalker to you, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Wasn't until you were older and looked into the character to real then that you realized that that's not how he always was in the comics, and it's just you don't see that with many characters. Even Star Lord, the bones were there. Yeah. But this was almost a completely different character as as mm. far as characterization attire, visual profile, everything. And it's just quite amazing and 100% due to those movies. Well, we talked about Power Man on the show, Chris, and you gave a really good explanation of the history, what was going on in the world, social and civil rights, parts of history that really mattered when that was happening. And that happened during the black exploitation period as well, of film and all and other mediums. And I feel like Blade coming out in 73, it was right there at the tail end of that, right? Too, right? So there was a lot Absolutely. of things with this character being a black lead that were kind of hanging on from that. And then, of course, Blade evolves over time naturally. But then we get the movie in the late 90s, and he has this complete resurgence and, like you said, retelling. Hey, man, he was popular in the 70s and 80s, too. Rightfully so, man. Right. Let's not mince words. Blade and all of his incarnations are pretty awesome. Yeah. Like this guy rules. <laughs> he does rule. But you're completely right. Like between his first appearances to the movie, even the storylines he was in have changed. I mean, you wouldn't be seeing this Avengers Shield, Midnight Suns oh, yeah. until after the Wesley Snipes films. But before that, he was more this sort of lack of a better term, like strange tales, one-offs killing Dracula type character, right? You know, and he would get he would get individual series kind of quite often, mm -hmm. but the, it was very rare that they would go past 10 issues. He's always been kind of a very, very popular character, but I don't know if many people can write him right. I don't know if there's enough, enough grapes on that vine to really get a lot out of it with the whole have everything has to be vampire centric, but I think they're working on ways to do... You see how Jason Aaron has used him recently as a member of the Avengers. Mm -hmm. You know, and the movie's coming out. The new movie's coming out soon, which is going to be awesome, I think. Oh, my gosh. I know. We'll get to that in movies here in a minute. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think there are some bright days ahead for this character. I'm very excited for him. So the last thing we really need to talk about well yeah i want to talk about when he when he, that storyline where he joins shield chris and then he realizes half a shield has been turned to vampires man the type of stuff that marvel does sometimes i just love where they do crazy stuff like that but i know we're not here to talk about shield we're here to talk about Mid midnight suns so you want to talk about the midnight suns a little bit huh definitely 
and Blade's kind of early days in that team. Well, that means we're going to have to touch on the Night Stalkers just a little bit. The Night Stalkers were a team of vampire hunters. They were led by Blade for the most part, not originally, but eventually. So the series ran for 18 issues from uh, November of 92, April of ni- 1994, kind of wrapped up some that some Tomb of Dracula uh, series stuff, you know, from the 70s. Mm. And what's going to happen with the Night Stalkers is Dracula is pretty much going to kill them all, <laughs> except for Blade. And, and through through all this, he's going to encounter uh, Strange in the Midnight Suns, the Night Stalkers will enter meet up with the midnight suns fight against dracula with them okay the night stalkers will they're get pretty killed. much all gone now <laughs> yeah yeah man so then blades absorbed into the midnight suns i mean yes that's the roundabout of it that's very quick very dirty but yeah and he becomes a leader quickly maybe this is some some prime content for a comics yep. comics deep dive episode jesse yep well we've talked about having some plans for halloween this year and so there's all kinds of stuff, yeah. Making that a reoccurring seasonal segment every year. Oh yeah. yeah, very exciting. It can happen. It could happen. The Midnight Suns, such an awesome concept without just a ton of content yet. So yeah, a assembled team of all loners and all <laughs> right. antiheroes. <laughs> and we talk more about that in our Halloween episode. So if you haven't heard that, definitely check it out. Okay, so you're saying at this point now, Blades in the Midnight Suns, he's in the Avengers. Lately, he's been in the appearing in the Avengers a lot. Current day, yeah, he's in the Avengers a lot. Of course, he's got a movie coming, so they gotta they gotta heat him up. And he's on the Avengers in this very game, which we'll get to later. But Chris, we've got to close out our lore with the movies real quick. We've touched on them a lot already, so we won't go too in depth. But I will cover the movies quickly because technically they're not MCU, but they are the first Marvel movies that really kicked all this superhero stuff off. So the first movie was 1998. It was titled Blade and it was directed by Stephen Norrington and was written by David S. Goyer. Now, what's interesting about this is the third movie, Blade Trinity, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the third movie was written and directed by David S. Goyer. That's why the name has already come up. The second film, Blade 2, was also written by David S. Goyer, but was directed by the magnificent Guillermo del Toro. This trilogy, like you said, Blade was kind of everywhere. He was super popular. Obviously, the movies, critically, three was the worst received and one was the best received. And two was somewhere in the middle. But I like, you know, all three movies take different risks and they take Blade in different directions. And Wesley Snipes, like you said, just brings it home. Him playing this character of Eric while also doing all of his own martial arts and stunts, being part of his actual acting on top of... You know, the fact that gave a great performance of this sort of take on Blade, like you mentioned, that David S. Goyer wrote in the script and that Wesley Snipes brought to the screen. But then on top of that, similar to Keanu Reeves in Modern Day, he just did all of his stunts. And that was also part of the character, too, that was paramount because they always showed his face during fight scenes. Which was part of why it was so awesome. Yeah, he's a martial arts master. Yeah. That movie oozed cool. Yeah. And really, did it come out before The Matrix? One year, yeah. Barely. So it kind of... The Matrix was already well underway. works. I know, but... Being filmed post-production. They were were both using that kind of... That that goth aesthetic and everything like that, but... Neo-goth. Yeah, neo-goth and... But Blade got there first, man. (laughs) 
you're speaking the truth here. It's very true. And I think Blade's take on Neo Goth holds up a little bit better anyway. Blade uh, walked so the Matrix could fly, you know, honestly. It's true. And oh, they're fun movies to rewatch, too. They are. And I have a special place in my heart in particular for Blade 2 because I really like some of the stuff Guillermo del Toro is exploring early on, which he'll explore later in his career with his own novels, like the strain series and stuff with these sort of proto vampires, you know, and stuff like that, like taking it way back to, you know, the early vampires and stuff and blades challenges facing those, but yeah, very cool, man. Wesley Stomps knocked out of the park and we'd be remiss to not mention what we've already mentioned our show several times over the past couple of years since the announcement, but Oscar winning Oscar nominated Mahershala Ali is playing blade and the new series. He's so good. The dude is incredible. I mean, everything he's been in, he's just kind of stolen the show. And I'm so excited to see him be Blade. And, you know, it's one of those things like the man is so prolific at his acting. He continues to be hired by Marvel and Sony for different ways. I mean, he was in the Luke Cage show as Copperhead. And then, of course, he was Uncle Aaron in so cool, the Spider-Verse. Into the, the Marvel movie ever made. The best Spider-Man movie ever made? Yeah, is what you're saying? Yeah. And now he's going to be Blade, and I think he can truly do it. Of course, he has the acting chops. Of course, he's probably one of the most prolific modern actors they have hired for a Marvel show, but I mean, his martial arts. He's got some martial arts to work on, which he's I've got doing. some very high hopes for his portrayal of Blade. This is the first time we're having kind of a legacy screen character show up for a second time. Let's not forget... Spider-Man No Way Home, but I know exactly what you mean. I know, I know. Spider-Man keeps showing up like this, but it's... Yeah. It's not Blade, man. Spider-Man's been going since the 60s, has been super popular for forever. I I think he's going to be able to do it, but outdoing Wesley Snipes is going to be tough, is what I'm really trying to get at. It's going to be tough, and you know, the MCU had its missteps and had its issues and also had its fun to get us to here. You know what I mean? Like, we endured a lot of the popcornness to get to things like having them be bold enough to say, okay, we can make Blade in this universe and even do a slightly different tone sh- shift and make it work and make money. They wouldn't have done this 10 years ago, you know? No, at all. absolutely so, not. Once again, all these characters and movies and stuff have enabled us to get to Blade, which is absolutely wonderful. And I think Moon Knight's proving a lot of interesting things for its audience as well that Marvel can do differently. Like you said, Chris, that darkness, tap into it in a lot of different ways, tap into some of that emotional, mental stuff that's so paramount to these characters. And uh, I just can't wait to see it. I cannot wait to see it. We will review it on the show. We'll talk about it again. But until then, we're just holding our breath and waiting because I'm excited for Blade. I'm excited for the prospect of potential of Midnight Suns in the MCU. But Chris, I would be remiss to not ask your comic book recommendation today because this is a very interesting character with different comic book story arcs as we've just gone over that you could recommend. Yeah. And I'm going to kind of recommend some from the different phases of Blade and comics. So the first one I want, this is just, you know, read a one-off. You can read more of the old Tomb of Dracula, but read Tomb of Dracula number 10 from 1973. This is original Blade. You can see him using the wooden knives, you know, the bandolier, the afro, the green glasses, the whole thing. The next thing is going to be Blade, Crescent City 
Blues, which came out in March of 1998. This is going to be pre-Movies Blade, but movies on the way. He's starting to look that way. I mean, he's had a leather jacket and things for a while, but, Mm -hmm. you know, starting to get there. But, you know, very 90s Blade. And then I want you to read some very modern Blade. Uh, I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago. Blade did lead a team for a while, and he has before, but Strike Force. It came out in 2019, ran through 2020, only nine issues. Very cool. It's post-War of Realms. You know, the Marvel Universe putting itself back together after a big event. And Blade is leading this very, very interesting team doing some very interesting things against, you guessed it, Dracula. Or is there more to it? I don't know. Maybe you need to read it. (laughs) Perfect. All right, Chris. Well, that was a very exciting Lord. And it's time for us to get into Blade and Marvel Crisis Protocol in strategy. His name is Blade. His alter ego is Eric Brooks. On his healthy side, he has a stamina of six health, a move of medium, a small base, a height of two, and a threat cost of four. His defenses are four physical, three energy, four mystic. Chris, on his injured side, he has a stamina of six, bringing him up to a total of 12 with very impressive defensive stats. They are impressive, and you'd think they would be. For a four cost... You got to have something. And you know, Jesse, I am a sucker for these kind of melee mystic characters. Big <laughs> yeah. sucker for them. It's just cool. I mean, that's that's the long and short of it. The cool factor alone is just... Honestly, four physical is nothing to scoff at. It, it does more than you'd think a lot of the time. But Jesse, let's get into that first of three attacks I was talking mm. about. He's got two mystic attacks the first one we're going to talk about is katana it is a range two strength five power cost zero mystic attack after the attack is resolved blade gains power equal to the damage dealt after the attack is resolved the target gains the bleed special condition no questions asked it happens that auto bleed auto bleed on a mystic attack interesting right and on a wild you will get a pierce which we all know Pierce rules. Yeah. Five dice strike, solid. Five dice strike that's mystic, even better. Five dice strike with Pierce and auto bleed. Love it. I love the theme of this so much, Chris, because the reason this is mystic is these are blades, holy water dipped katanas. So cool, man. Just changing it from physical to mystic because they are holy water dipped is incredible. And it's a solid builder. It's what you want to see out of better ones. Yeah. Yeah. And expect nothing less on a four threat. So very good. That range two bugs me a little bit, but I know it's melee though. He's got to use the sword. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Moving on. He has two more attacks that I will cover real quick. First one, very simple, and you're probably going to use it less in the game, but it is here and it's a nice option. It's a physical attack called throwing glaives. It's range four, a strength of four, a power cost of zero. After this attack is resolved, blade gains one power. So this is his gainer attack, Chris, like we talk about, not his builder. It's a gainer, just gain yep. one power. And I've talked many times on this show, the more you play MCP, the more you realize the power of a character having a gainer because you don't have any questions about your payment with power. It takes some variation out of the game. It takes a little bit of the dice rolling out of your plans. It's something you can count on. It's something you can, you know, is going to happen. Absolutely. 
it's very integral mid game, knowing that you will get that power no matter what. When you're yeah. one power away of doing from doing the thing you need to do. Yeah, you're like, okay, now I can pay for superpower. Now there I can go. pay this card because I just need one power. It does have a wild trigger of bleed as well. After the attack is resolved, the target character gains bleed. So once again, his katanas and his throwing glaives, his melee attack builder and his ranged attack gainer both have a wild trigger of importance. The first one is pierce. This one is bleed. So keep an eye on his wild triggers. But his last attack is another mystic attack called Knight of the Dampier. That's Blades Knight. It's range three, which is great, and a strength of seven, a power cost of four. Very expensive. If the target character has the bleed special condition, you may reroll any number of attack dice. Oh, baby. It also gives auto bleed. After the attack is resolved, target character gains the bleed special condition. It also gives auto, after this attack is resolved, blade may advance medium. That's so nice. It's really nice. All the auto stuff, like, yes, they have a bleed. You automatically get to roll dice. You give them bleed. If they didn't have it, you advance medium. You know, there's a lot of cool things here. This giving blade, it's great. But I don't think you're ever going to use this unless they have bleed. That's at least the plan, right? Unless right. You- flush on power because this is essentially a spender with a hit and run baked in which is super cool we talked about on the show how powerful hit and run is how powerful charge is it's even better than hit and run so expensive spender but you get to reroll any number of dice if they have a bleed on them and you get to hit and run away you get to net a free movement action very very cool Actually, integral part of his kit, Chris, and something we're going to talk about here in a minute. Blade's one of those characters. It's odd, but he is one of those characters you're going to want to spend her as much as possible in a game. Sounds like my kind of character. <laughs> it does sound like your type of character, for sure. And it actually works for him quite well. All right, Jesse. Now's where the fun begins. Oh, yes. Let's talk about Bump in the Night. This is, of course, the Midnight Sun's leadership ability. Once per turn, At any time during an allied character's activation, the allied character may spend one power. If the allied character does, place that character within range one of its current position. That is very powerful. That is very, very powerful. I mean, it gets around one of the biggest things in MCP, which is being pushed and thrown in some instances, especially if you're pushed and thrown into terrain, Chris, like where you only get pushed and thrown, not the max distance. Now, what's cool about this is if you are a new player, if you're a intermediate player, if you're an advanced player, you're getting something out of this. And every tier you go up in your play, you're getting more out of this. This is one of those super hard to quantify leaderships because it's so powerful at given times in a game. And if you add base sizes on top of this, Chris, which we'll talk about in a minute, it starts opening up in big ways. Like, does a large base character like Hulk get more out of this than a small base character? Yes, by a lot. Big time. So is this incredible on a small base character? Yes. Like you talked about Blade having a range two on his katana could be huge for him to get off two strikes, right? It is big. Yeah. But medium size base and large base characters, it's even better. One of the many reasons why Ghost Rider is good in this team. I love Ghost Rider, dude. I love Ghost Rider so much. He's fun. But moving on, he's got some other very exciting superpowers. His next superpower is an active superpower called Half-Blood Physiology. Costs one power. This character immediately performs a shake action. It's so good, dude. Notice it doesn't say once per turn. No. 
the first thing when we read this is we say Blade will never be staggered ever, ever. Nope. Unless you can somehow stagger him without giving him damage. Like that's the only instance, right? Good luck, man. Or he had power before that, right? But also this means Blade can never really be shocked or incinerated. That's so big. Yes, you want to spend her with him as much as you can, but if there's debilitating effects on you, you're going to spend for those first, right? Hopefully you're going to strike. His strike is good enough that if you don't have the power for it, Knight of the Dampier, it's okay. His strike is very good. Well, his strike with his stats, and then we're seeing a trend with his superpowers. They're all about sort of that grit we talked about and mm-hmm. that sort of tankiness. Wesley Snipes, dude. Love it. His next superpower is a reactive superpower. It is called Supernatural Senses. It's going to cost you two power. When Blade is defending against physical or mystic attacks, this is cool because it's usually physical or energy on most most hero cards. Very true. After rolling its defense dice, it may use this superpower. Blade may reroll any number of its defense dice, including skull results. Super tanky, man. Just pay two to reroll spider sense all your dice. Theoretically, you're going to have quite a bit of power. If you're running Midnight Suns, you're going to go ahead and use that power to get up and double builder, which will be huge. Five dice with a pierce mm-hmm. twice. That's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. You're going to have power with this character. And maybe that is the trick. It is, you know, you kind of alluded to it is knowing when. When do I have to have that four power for Knight of the Dampier? When is Half-Blood Physiology more worth it? Can mm-hmm. I tank this hit without using two? Do I have to have every hit with Supernatural Senses? You know, it's just, there's a lot to it. He's got a puzzle, and it continues with this final superpower because this is innate. It's called Vampiric Immortality, and it is a huge part of his kit, Chris. And this sort of discussion we're having with how do you spend his power correctly? How do you spend it at what times? So let's go ahead and read it. At the end of Blade's activation, Blade gains one power and removes one damage from himself for each other character within range two of him that has the bleed special condition. So he's gaining a lot of power and healing factoring a lot of damage if you're playing him right. And this is what I'm talking about. There are instances where it might be better to strike multiple different targets to give out more bleeds or to Knight of the Dampier, the final target, put out another bleed, stay in position of all of them, healing factor X up to the number of people with bleed tokens around him, and then gain three power. And now you're ready for your supernatural senses on your defending dice rolls that are coming up, right? And here's what's crazy about this uh, vampiric immortality, Chris, something I learned very early on that I think is paramount for you to know as a listener and paramount for everyone to know as Blade. This just says for each other character within two, Mm. this includes allies that are bleeding because he's drinking blood off them as well. This also includes dazed characters. That have bleed tokens on them. Okay. So Blade is getting a lot of power and healing factor at the end of his turn, essentially. His version of healing factor with his vampiric of drinking of blood. So the theme is incredible. The playstyle is fun because he's this weird bruiser that has all these reactive things he can do to tank in the fight as long as possible. And now we're at the end of his card. Nothing changes on the back. He's exactly the same, and he still has six stamina. So he's at 12 health, which, you know, decent for a four threat, not at the top, top end. But with these defenses, with his version of healing factor, and with 
supernatural senses, he is deceptively, deceptively tanky. And it's in fact, the best part of his kit, Chris, is how tanky he is. No, I, I love it. I think when you can set things up right for this thing to happen properly, when you can get this machine built... It's just incredible. And I mean, we're talking about another character that what loves gamma shelters, you know? Yeah. If he, if he's playing right. Yeah. He's having fun. He's also one of these characters you can, that you can throw out on a flank and can potentially, you know, solo over there because of this vampiric immortality, you know, gaining hopefully one extra, at least one extra power, uh, healing one wound every, every turn is huge, especially when you're trying to hold a side objective all by yourself. And, for a four cost, you know, that's kind of what we expect out of them these days. And in a lot of, yep. you know, normal games is the four cost needs to hold down a side of the board by themselves for a little bit. Well, it's weird because like neither Dampier definitely deletes characters. But like other than that, he doesn't really have a ton of attrition, killing power. That's not really his job. His job is to stay around the entire game. Never lose your leadership because it's so powerful and to tank whatever objective he's on and win it. By tanking it, right? Because let's also not forget, Chris, this half-blood physiology, the the free shake without taking a right. shake action. In a weird way, that's another level of tankiness and, and defensiveness against control, you know? True. So a lot of people get fixated on, oh, Blade doesn't do enough damage and all this stuff. And in another team, maybe. But in his Midnight Suns team, it doesn't matter because if this leadership's online all game and he's still around, those are the two most important things he can do is keep the leadership up and tank wherever he's at. Then if he has spikes on his Dampier attack, okay, now we're talking, right? Now he's doing a lot of work. He's drinking a lot of blood. And you know, it's exactly like Laura, Chris, who you've been playing a ton of, X-23, Laura Kinney. Yes. Where it's like, you put your opponent in this horrible spot where it's like, do you want to do a little bit of damage to Blade and not daze him and then he goes and heals it all back and you feel like you just lost whole turns of the game that's the value in characters like that Absolutely. that's the value in wolverine and Sabretooth. even if you don't see him as much these days i mean the characters have their problems but if you can absorb someone's big attack or their spike mm -hmm. survive that spike and deal one back just and, and blade has the the biggest potential for healing right yeah and this is why he doesn't have healing factor which i think was a right decision it was to, for him to have access to the healing factor cards would be ridiculous that's <laughs> <laughs> true and this is cooler because he's got his own mm -hmm. thematic version which is based off of the number of allies and enemies around him with bleed tokens so it's like his healing factor could just be a saber tooth of one it could be a three. It could be better than Logan, right? It's how you play him and the situations that come up, which I find Bingo. cooler, honestly, in a lot of ways, because it's up to the player. Yeah, the the play style with him can be very different based on very different situations. And that is a very, very interesting aspect to his kit and to him as a, a an MCP uh, character. Absolutely, Chris. And I think, you know, if you understand the things I said about him being this sort of tanky bruiser character, you know, and typically in the gaming world, we use the word bruiser. And what a bruiser means is it means, because I, I think Chris and I say it a lot, and we should clarify this. I think 
a bruiser in the simplest state means a tanky character that can also deal out spikes of damage at given times. Yes. They can quasi-tank, they can quasi-damage deal, but most of the time they they remain in that interim, but they always lean a little bit more towards the defensive tanking side. But then they have some spikes that come up, you know? And that's what's cool about a character like Blade. Bruiser is the best word we have for him because he's not right. percent a tank like a Luke Cage or maybe even a lizard or something. But he's also not full-on damage dealer like Laura Kenny, who's a three-threat, right? Who, who's probably a better damage dealer than him at three-threat. If you're playing it right, he's somewhere in the middle. But more importantly, if he's alive the entire game, you have Midnight Suns leadership your entire game, and that is going to help you win the game. And talking about Midnight Suns, we're going to talk about three of their tactics cards, starting with Banishment, because it's going to kind of frame our discussion going forward for the coming weeks, Chris, with Midnight Suns. Banishment is a reactive tactics card. After an an attack made by an allied Midnight Suns character is resolved, if the attack roll contained a crit, wild, and a hit, the allied character may spend two to play this card. The target character and enemy characters within range two of the allied character gain the stun special condition. So if you've got things really well set up with Blade, you're you're throwing a lot of dice. You're going to have the opportunity to use this card. And hopefully you've got more than one or two enemies within range two of you anyway, based on his based on his healing, drinking blood. This card is a it's kind of a home run for him if you're good at setting that up. Yeah, it's very hard to pull off. And it's yes. very hard to have the card slot space. Yes. And I think when you have matchups where, like Chris said, for instance, maybe a gamma game. And you pull this out of your tent, right? And you say, this is the game I'm going to play because everyone's in the gamma shelter. There's a higher chance I can get more than two characters in this, which I think is probably the situation you want this. Yeah. And you pass out a lot of stuns. It's not a card we see a lot of right now, but it's probably a card we'll see more of the future, Chris, depending on when crises change and the meta changes always. Sure. And I, I don't see it being a super competitive card at any point, but it is a fun one to take at the kitchen table just to see if you can pull it off challenge yourself. Absolutely, Chris. And talking about another card which doesn't see as much play but I think is even better and I think it's worth going for this for this card art because <laughs> right. Who doesn't love a basset hound and of course who doesn't love this basset hound? So, Bats the Ghost Hound. It's a Midnight Suns reactive card. When an allied Midnight Suns character is modifying its attacker defense dice, so that's, of course, the attacker has rolled dice, the defender has rolled dice, the attacker has exploded crits, the defender has exploded crits. Now we're in the modified dice stage. You may pay two power to play this card. Change one of the allied character's attack or defense dice to any result. This effect may change even skull critical failure results. So this is Bats the Ghost Hound coming in, giving you that little save, mm-hmm. changing the dice in your favor. What's cool about this, Chris, is this is like a super-powered Oscorp weaponry from spider Froze, right? <laughs> oh, everyone's rolled all their dice. Okay, now I see your defensive dice. I want you to re-roll one of those. Oh, it rolled into nothing. I win as spider Froze. This is better than that. This is everyone's rolled all their dice. If I get one more damage through on you, as an attacker, I daze your Hulk. Let's say it's something big, that big. Yeah. You pay two, Bats comes in, he flips the dice, you know, and you change it to a hit or critter or wild, right? Give yourself your a wild trigger. Right. right? 
Very cool. I don't think this card is ever bad, but it does take up one of your card slots. That's the biggest thing of it, right? It's true, and there's a lot of good tactical card options these days. Absolutely, and I'm ready to do an episode on Bats the Ghost Sound in the future. Okay, we can do it. But Chris, I want you to read this last card because... the star of the show. This is the bread and butter. This is the Avengers Assemble of the Midnight Suns. This is the all-webbed-up of the Midnight Suns. And, you know, you knew it was coming. Here it is. Also awesome art, to be honest. This is Siege of Darkness. It is a Midnight Suns active card. Any number of allied Midnight Suns characters may spend two power each to play this card. Each character that spent two power may immediately perform an attack with a power cost of zero. So how does this affect Blade? Free Katana. <laughs> free Katana, yeah. Out of activation, free Katana. Extremely cool. Not to mention that it's probably two to three, maybe four of his closest friends also doing the same thing. Yeah, I love this card because it is Wakanda Forever with one yep. more cost, right? Wakanda Forever is one. But the whole point of that, balance-wise, is the Wakandans don't hit as hard. They mainly push, right? Right. Vibranium weapons. So I love the balance here that you're paying more for Midnight Suns. This also truly rewards you for bringing more Midnight Suns members in your team. Because just like Wakanda Forever, the more people that have it, the more value you're getting out of this card. And it turns out, Chris, a big part of their play of this team is the turn you get this off because they are an attrition team. These are the things that keep me from being really good at attrition teams. That timing. It's it's the timing on these big cards like this. It's it's tough for me. Setting them up properly is tough for me. Well, you see a Midnight Suns player. They're playing this card in their five. They have to. It's too strong because we're going to get into more Midnight Suns as this series goes on and we'll examine everybody's builder or their gainer through this lens. Because keep in yep. mind, Chris, you could just throw in Glaives as Blade for this. That's fine. You paid two. You threw some Glaives. You netted one. So you paid one. Not bad either. He's got a lot of places that power can go. It's okay for him to have one power guaranteed. Now, something I will mention while we're here on this card, because I think it's a important thing to know about it. We're playing a game of MCP, Chris. And you finish an activation with one of your characters. It is now my turn. The start of my turn, I can play any active tactics cards at the start of my turn before I go with the character. Unless it's like a character card where it's like med pack. It says you have to go with the character on their turn and they do the med pack and they do the thing, right? But this is just a your turn card. So passes to me. I say Siege of Darkness on my turn. I pay for everyone that I can. They all attack. Say I daze somebody on a flank with Blade. Well, now I say, okay, now my, my activation has started. I'm going to go with Moon Knight on this other flank because I kind of saw how exactly. things went with the Siege of Darkness, right? And that's how you use Siege of Darkness. You can use it at the end of a turn for a similar effect. Like, oh, I didn't kill that model. You know yeah. what? Let's get a third attack out of my Midnight Suns character, essentially, right? But I think in most cases, probably 70% of the time, it's best played at the top of a turn strategically like that, right? And then you decide who to go with, maybe finish off some kills or take some objectives because you just daze someone during that Siege of Darkness and they yeah. dropped a hammer, right? Oh, well, now I'm going to go with, weirdly enough, I'm going to go with Wong now. I'm going to go pick up that hammer and sit on a back point and, you know, make him come to yeah. me. It, it's just a cool card. It's the same reason why Wakanda Forever was the best card in the game for a long time. It's very versatile, and it rewards the player that's using it at the right time. 
That's all it is. It's a game changer, man. It can swing momentum in big, big ways. I'd be remiss not to mention the power of this card paired with the restricted card, better rivals, where you reduce everyone's <laughs> defense dice the same turn. So you could, in fact, pay for better rivals off someone on your team, ideally a non-Midnight Suns person, right? Oh, yeah. Now all your Midnight Suns people pay two power to Siege of Darkness, and their whole team is better rivaled defensive debuffed and you just do damage gross that's the swing turn for midnight suns typically happens turn two or three every game and it's a huge swing for this team and a big part of their playstyle as of right now when we're recording this episode could change in the future but right now very cool very big part of their team but chris we got to close out like we always do with talking about the teams that blade actually is on in this game blade is on Quite a bit of teams, Chris. He's on the Avengers. Yeah, that tracks. He's the leader of the Midnight Suns, so of course he's there. That tracks. He's also on the Defenders. That tracks. Yeah, change those katanas to energy. Change him back to physical. Ooh, weirdly, buddy. You're attacking Modok. Let's change him to physical. You know, that's it. So he's on three teams, which honestly, very high. Most characters in this game are not on three or four teams, right? There, it's very rare to have a character like Wolverine that's on four teams. That's almost yeah. unheard of. And most characters are on two or three teams. So Blade is on that upper echelon. He's on three teams as of right now. Very cool, man. I mean, we can talk about, it's obvious, Steve's team, very strong. Superpowers cost less. He's good. His defensive superpowers using to reroll his dice, he's doing all the time because it only costs one power. <laughs> Decent Avenger, I would say. Same with Sam's team. If he wants to get a short move and kill one more damage, why not? Why not? That sounds fine. It sounds okay. I think his bread and butter teams are obviously the Midnight Suns because he's the leader and probably defenders because he's a four threat person who can be on a flank, changes attack types, give out that hex. It all works. Yeah. You know? But you always like to ask where we can put characters in different places. And, you know, similar to my episode of Morlocks recently, I will say I would love to see someone explore. Uh oh. A Blade or a Logan, a tanky flanking character in Asgard. Right? Oh my. I mean, just think about okay. it. Okay. It's a little overkill because he does have the free shake, right? And they they their leadership's either a heal or a shake. You'll never use the Asgard leadership as a shake for him. You'll use it as a heal. And then he's got heals at the end of his turn with his bleeds. I just think it'd be fun to check out and try. But you know, he actually fits a lot of places, Chris. We've talked about characters that deal consistent damage, why they're good in Cabal. Blade's no different. I haven't tried him in Convocation, but I think it's pretty cool because he does have Mystic Attacks. And if I play that Plane of Poldock card, and yeah. he just re all Mystic Attacks for a turn on a target. Very cool. <laughs> Weirdly enough, his probably places he's best, where he's splashed out of affiliation, are probably places that we don't see as much, like maybe in humans, right? Where they pass power on their turns because he's going to be a flush power character. Or he's going to be a character that's one power short of maybe doing that Dampier or doing that superpower, right? So similar to other leaders in the game, Blade has not been explored in a lot of other places outside of his his teams and his leadership in particular. Hey, man, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to explore four costs right now or four threats right now. Yeah, that's a with, with Rogue. I mean, Black Panther's <laughs> still good. I mean, he's still one of the best. Yeah, Doctor Voodoo's out there in the world ugh, looking stop at people. It. Stop it! <laughs> Not forget, Enchantress went nowhere. She went to nowhere. No, but she's she's just an omnipresent threat. These are the newest <laughs> threats. Hey, man, Blade and X Force. It'd be fun to try out. Look, I'm thinking about it. Not gonna lie. 
I mean, a super defensive character getting rerolls on his attacks just makes him a better character overall, right? I think so. In theory, if he's getting Wetworks rerolls on his attacks, he's getting more power to do more defensive things. More right? pierces. Yeah, and more pierces. Ooh, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, I actually think he's super solid and super annoying to deal with and maybe un, like unkillable against some teams in the web warriors because he gets to reroll skulls mm, he's contesting yeah. objectives and he yeah. gets to reroll one miles defense free roll every reroll then he can do his blade stuff like his supernatural senses on top of the miles reroll right so he has a lot of good homes play him where you want he's not a bad character you just gotta learn how to play him i think yeah there's a lot of characters like that in this game that's one of the coolest parts about it is mm. eh, he might not be the just all around best four threat in the game right now but right it doesn't mean he's not useful it doesn't mean he can't be incredible if you just do a little bit of extra work to engineer the right situation for him yeah and i will tell you chris like i've learned the hard way because you know i've played a lot of midnight suns at this point I played against them a lot and blade is similar to a hulk or a wolverine Ooh. or a 23 where it's like you have to be sure when you're ready to start attacking him. Mm. You do not want mm. to mess that up. You don't want to pepper him early on and ignore him and come back to him later, or you don't want to pepper him a little bit and pepper him in again. Like that's not going to work just like it's not going to work with Hulk or one of these healing factor weapon X mutants. Yeah. You've got to ignore him or you've got to be ready to go all in on him because he has these defensive spikes and this healing that you're not ready for. Like I said, it makes you feel like you've lost turns because you, in fact, have lost turns. You've attacked him multiple times. He's healed it back. Yeah. And that also is a mental drain on you as a player because now you're Big. thinking, I'm kind of digging out of a hole with my actions, right? So you've got to ignore him until you're ready to attack him. And that's as simple as it is. And I will say his only true weakness is energy. So the same kind of way you would deal with Venom, because Venom is the same problem. Venom's so tanky. He, he's got healing on his attacks back. He's hard to remove from the game. He has high stamina. So Blade's a very similar mindset to that. How do you deal with Venom? You only attack him when you're ready with energy mm -hmm. weapons. With right. energy weapons. Do you treat Blade the same way? You only attack him when you're ready with energy weapons if you can and hopefully you have some modifiers to help you get consistent dice through because he has those supernatural vampire senses which give him rerolls on defense so it's very deceptive chris but his defenses of four three four are kind of higher than that if he always has power right because he's got rerolls online and he's going to use them and don't be afraid to use them if you're the blade player because your biggest strength with blade like i said is being tanky staying around and being a nuisance to your opponent because you're not going anywhere i love it it's cool man the theme is on point it's it's 100 on point it's very cool and you know we got to talk about the sculpt on this model for just a second i'm so glad you brought this up chris it's pretty dang good it's one of my favorite small base model sculpts mm, mm, that's you good. know that's good because I've started to frame these things in my mind lately. It's, it's kind of hard to judge every character equally because there are some more dynamic sculpts. There's cooler characters by sure default design, you know, for in Marvel, in my opinion, and this blade sculpt, it's so evocative of him in action. You know, he's coming down on his vampire enemies, which are happen to be bursting out of the ground, which you and I personally love. I know some people don't love the vampire hands, <laughs> but you have an option of just putting him on the magic, right? Or just on a curb or something if you really want to. Sure. But I think the vampire hands were a touch 
that shows why we love AMG so much. It's one of those things like they could have easily made Blade wide stance on the ground, mm-hmm. some sort of martial arts stance with the sword out, maybe a glaive in the other hand. It would have been cool. Yeah. Probably good. Or even even on like a downed rubble pillar. Sure. You know, something evocative of the movie. No, they kind of bridged the gap between the movies and the comics and they had him literally jumping down. I mean, his cape is flying up above it's his head. Awesome. It's a very unusual look on most models we've seen in games. Most models in games don't have the cape like moved by the wind that much because they're moving down through force, you know? And I love that. He's coming down on these vampire hands. And like I said, they're optional. I personally love them. He looks great, man. He's got stakes on his belt. He's got the two swords. He's got glaives. I mean, it's Blade. It's awesome, man. It looks great. The lines that the the oh. model really good point there's a lot of good stuff going on it's it's kind of a it's a very interesting model it's almost a vertical line in a lot of ways it's it's i think it's very very well done i I think it's very cool in agreeing with you chris because you're right on the money it's very dynamic and it's very minimalist in the way of like it is that sort of just singular shape right which Mm -hmm. is very interesting but it's just different there's stuff going on most importantly his teeth are out you can see oh yeah baby you gotta have it gotta have it and i love it and it's a beautiful model and what more can we say nailed it furious finest is supported by our wonderful patrons you can become a furious finest patron by going to patreon.com slash furious finest of course a lot of you have been joining the patreon lately and we thank you again to yeah it's thank awesome you. guys thank you and the community is growing and our biggest goal with the patreon chris is to keep the lights on and grow this community and With that, we said at the front of the show, this is the year of the patrons, and we hope you get to be part of that. But most importantly, just as low as $1 a month, you can join our Patreon and just be part of the Discord. And that's really all we want to open up access for you to do because it's a wonderful community there. And there's a lot of great people talking about great things. And it's very uplifting, Chris. We got a lot of cool stuff going on hobby, TTS games, in general chat, and the MCU chat and general gaming chat, like stuff with Star Wars Legion lately. There's a lot. There's more than I can even list here, but you get access to that with the Patreon Discord. Just make sure your Discord is linked to your Patreon account, and it will automatically add you to the Discord. It's pretty cool, man. Find us on social media. Find us on Twitter at Furious Finest Cast, and Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Furious Finest. We haven't streamed in a long time, but now that the world has kind of gone back to normal, I am actively pursuing streaming Uh-oh. again. And we're trying to get a, a bi-weekly or monthly MCP night going here locally, you know, and Chris and I have a group of friends that we're doing that with, and maybe that's an avenue for us to pursue streaming again. I'm very excited to get that all kind of ironed out. So make sure to follow us there. If you have any inquiries, ideas, or collaborations or anything else, email us at furiousfinest.gmail.com and leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. I saw that a lot of you recently have been leaving us reviews on Spotify, which is very helpful because we know you've kind of been there the whole time and you didn't have an option to leave us reviews on the Apple podcast platform. So we really do appreciate you leaving us reviews on the Spotify platform. Thanks to approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And like Jesse said, man, keep it up. The game is growing. The podcast is growing. The community is growing. This is awesome. This is, uh, this is what we wanted. It's true. We're doing it. It's great. It's why we've been at this game since launch of 2019. Yeah, that's right. You can find Chris and I on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jesse Aiken. This is my name. That's J S S E E A K I N. 
Chris, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T, where I'm currently very anxious about the NBA draft lottery. I mean, every year at this time, that's your Twitter, right? It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to care about the draft anymore, Jesse. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, sports. Yes. Sports. I'm there. Sports. Sports ball. So, Chris, this is always the part of the show where everyone's dropped off, you know, so we always like to throw in little nuggets here. So I'm going to throw in a nugget of something we didn't cover earlier, which we probably should have, but I'll just, I'll say it now. The definition of a dampier. Dampiers are creatures that are a result of a union between a vampire and a mortal human. This union was usually between male vampires and female mortal humans, but there have been instances of other cases with stories of female vampires mating with male mortal humans being more rare. That's weird. It's getting real weird. That would imply some things about vampire physiology that I'm not prepared to actually think about. This is something that I'm, you know, people have pursued on the internet. And, uh, you know, Dampier is a class in 5e of D&D. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'd love to play D&D again. Well, let's talk about that in After Dark because uh, okay. I'd be starting a group or something. Yeah. That'd be, Ooh. That'd be great. Yeah. So, but we appreciate you guys sticking with us. It's just, I thought it was important to talk about what a damn fear is. Cause you know, it is a half blood physiology based human vampire person. And I find that very cool that blade is kind of the best of both worlds and also a day walker. And we love him. We just love him. I don't know, man. I like done peel better. <laughs> okay. Vampire Hunter D is just so cool. And like, he's so good, man. He's so good. I don't know. Him and Blade have some similar aspects, but they're also very different. It's cool. It's good stuff. It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. We hope you guys will enjoy us next time on the main format of the show where we return to Midnight Suns. We're going to have some very exciting characters coming up, Chris and Lore. I'm, I'm super hyped to learn more about, in particular, Moon Knight, who I actually know a good amount about, but I want to know well, more. And Dr. Voodoo, who I know very little about. I don't know much about him yet either. We're digging in. We're excited. But until next time, thanks for listening, True Believers. Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything will surprise me. Ten bucks says you're wrong. 